Welcome to a special supplemental episode of Ghostthropology. Today, in honor of the midwinter and Christmas tradition of sharing ghost stories, I'm going to share a few spooky tales with you. There won't be a commentary for these stories today, but the following four tales have been covered in depth in previous episodes. So sit back and relax as I tell you about the mysterious Dudley Town from episode 49, What Haunts Povelia Island, episode 35, The Dangers of Portland's Shanghai Tunnels, episode 55, and a haunted mansion in Japan that might sound familiar if you play video games, episode 18. Also, a programming note, I'm going to be taking a short hiatus, but look for new episodes in February 2024. Thanks for listening. In Cornwall, Connecticut, there is a location within the ominously named Dark Entry Forest that is said to be amongst the most haunted locations in the Americas. The location is the ruins of Dudley Town, a once prosperous town that was founded by a cursed family and was doomed as a result. All that remains now are the cellar pits and odd bits of a rock wall where once there were buildings and fences, and there are those that say that spirits or demons also remain. Legend holds that Dudley Town is the earthly receptacle of a curse that began in 1510, when Edmund Dudley was beheaded after it was revealed that he was conspiring to overthrow the King of England. Edmund's son, John Dudley, tried to marry one of his three sons to Lady Jane Grey, thus entering the royal family and making room for the Dudleys to ascend to the throne, and both John Dudley and his son were executed. Shortly afterward, John Dudley's second son returned from France, bringing the plague with him and unleashing an outbreak that killed thousands of people throughout the British Isles. John Dudley's third son decided to flee an obviously bad situation and left for the Americas in 1630. Once there, he had sons who would later settle in Connecticut. Or... An alternate version is that Governor Thomas Dudley of the Massachusetts Bay Company was the uncle of the four Dudley brothers who settled in Connecticut. According to this version of the story, Thomas Dudley was a horrible tyrant who executed those who were not Puritans and was responsible for numerous deaths. One or more of the people he tortured and put to death cursed him and his family. Thomas Dudley met a bad end when he was quite literally hacked to death in the place that would become Dudley Town, and it is unknown who or what killed him. But regardless of the exact version, two brothers from the Dudley family, Barzellier and Abiel, founded Dudley Town in 1747 after returning from service in the army during the French and Indian War. Abiel and Barzelle were later joined by their two brothers, Abijah and Gideon. These four were not the only people who settled in the location, but given that the presence of the brothers, their wives, and children resulted in a large number of Dudleys in the locale, the name Dudley Town stuck. The settlers who came to Dudley Town had to fell trees and remove rocks from fields, using first the wood and later the stone to build their homes. 
They grew what crops they could in the poor soil of the area, but it was never enough. The soil was too rocky, and the placement of Dudley Town between several tall hills ensured that direct sunlight was a rare commodity. Agriculture was a lost cause. However, the trees were chopped down and turned into charcoal which fed the nearby ironworks. Life was rough and the work was hard, but the people persevered and built up the town. Life may have been tough, but it wasn't anything out of the ordinary for the people of the time. Still, as the decades wore on, the Dudley brothers all passed away. The last left alive was Abiel, who went insane and began ranting about strange hoofed creatures with green eyes that stalked through the forest at night. Understandably, he became very, very fearful. Eventually, he was unable to take care of himself and lost his fortune and even his home. He died a pauper. While Abiel was still alive, Nathaniel Carter bought the unfortunate madman's house in 1759. Some say that Barzillai sold Abiel's property to pay off his own debts, indicating that Abiel was not the last Dudley after all. But this point is treated inconsistently. After displacing the poor mad Abiel, the Carter family moved out of Dudley Town in 1763 and went to reside in a homestead near Binghamton, New York, but somehow left their 13-year-old son behind. The result, rather unexpectedly, was a stroke of luck for the teenager. A Native American raiding party attacked the Carters' New York homestead in 1764, gruesomely killing and scalping Nathaniel Carter, his wife, and even their infant child. In 1774, Nathaniel's brother, Adoniram, and his entire family died of a strange and to this day unidentified illness that spread through Dudley Town, thus adding more deaths to the Dudley Town curse. And the horror kept coming. In 1792, Gershon Hollister is said to have been murdered at the home of William Tanner. Tanner was found innocent, but the episode tarnished his reputation. Afterward, Tanner reported seeing strange animals in the forest, as well as demons, and this eventually drove him insane. In 1804, General Heman Swift, an aide to none other than George Washington himself, was living in Dudleytown, but was away from home assisting General Washington. His wife walked out on the front porch and was killed after being struck by a bolt of lightning. Upon his return home, General Swift learned of his wife's death and began to lose grip on his own sanity. He began to speak of seeing strange demonic creatures, some with hooves and others with horns, wandering the area. In 1813, another plague hit Dudley Town, leaving yet more deaths in its wake including either half or even all of the Jones family. Why the Jones family is specifically mentioned is never clear, as they aren't really relevant to other parts of the story, but that they suffered so many deaths is always mentioned. Mary Cheney was born in Dudley Town in 1811, and the curse followed her after she left. She married Horace Greeley, who would eventually become a candidate for president, and who was famed for the advice, Go West, young man. Her husband's campaign for president failed, but it is open to question the degree to which that mattered to him as, one week before the election, Mary had hung herself. Her husband spent the election in mourning. As the 19th century wore on, crops failed, farm animals routinely vanished without explanation, and unexplained deaths continued. By the end of the 19th century, only the Brophy family, transplants from elsewhere who arrived in 1892, remained. 
First, the Brophy sheep began to vanish. Then, the Brophy sons vanished, though it is worth noting that they were wanted by local law enforcement, so on the lamb might be a better description than vanished. After a few years, Mrs. Brophy died of a strange and, to this day, unidentified illness. After her death, Mr. Brophy was sometimes seen around Cornwall wearing torn and worn-out clothing and muttering about demons. Several years after Mrs. Brophy's death, the Brophy house burned to the ground and Mr. Brophy vanished, perhaps a victim of the strange entities that he had been witnessing. Dudley Town remained abandoned to whatever demons Mr. Brophy had encountered until the 1920s when Dr. William Clark, a pathologist from New York, decided to build a summer home at that location. Things were quiet until 1937 when Dr. Clark left on a business trip, leaving his wife behind. When he returned home, he found her in an upstairs room, cackling to herself, having gone quite mad. She never recovered and never spoke another coherent word. She eventually died in an asylum. Dr. Clark was the last resident, but the Clarks weren't the last people to encounter evil at Dudley Town. In the 1950s, a teenage boy reported to the police that he and his girlfriend were chased down Dark Entry Road in the vicinity of Dudley Town by a strange hoofed creature with green eyes. This led to many other locals sharing their stories of encounters with the otherworldly at Dudley Town, and soon it was well known that the strange specters and weird creatures hid in the woods, that odd people were found to be skulking about at night, that the remains of strange rituals could be observed by people who went looking, and that even the occasional UFO was spotted by anyone caught in Dudley Town at night. Nowadays, local folklore tells of a satanic biker gang that enters Dudley Town to hold rituals. People report being attacked by demonic creatures with cloven hooves and strange green eyes. People also report seeing shadow people, floating balls of light, or dark human forms rising up out of the cellar pits. Other reports talk of having weird images show up on film or in digital pictures, and that animals seem to be strangely absent from the area. One location within Dudley Town is reputed to be an energy vortex, where the laws of physics appear to be routinely violated. In the 1980s, a TV news crew arrived to film a story around Halloween, only to have their equipment, which they had tested before heading to Dudley Town, fail while they were on location, and then work again once they were off-site. In the water near Venice sits Poveglia Island, a curious place on the whole. The island has clearly been modified by humans. It has far too many straight lines and smooth curves in its outline to be completely natural. The island has served as a private residence, a military fort, as a waiting station for ships entering Venice, and finally, as a hospital. Stories hold that the Romans used it as a quarantine station for plague victims, and that the same was done with victims of the Black Plague whose bodies were then buried in plague pits, that is, mass graves of plague victims. Many of the bodies are said to have been burned, and it has been claimed that the ashes have created a distinctive dust 
covering the island. Of course, there are those who say that the bodies burned in furnaces were not always dead. Someone who was weak enough to not put up a fight, but still alive, would be fed to the fires just like a corpse. While the Black Plague, as well as other diseases that hit Venice over the centuries, had a low survival rate, it was not zero. Therefore, it is possible that some of those said to have been burned alive might have recovered if they hadn't been straight up murdered. Most of these grisly stories hold that over 160,000 people died over the course of the island's history, and the presence of the dead is said to still lurk on the island, making it a dark and foreboding place approached only by the brave. Typically, non-specific stories of strange shadows, disembodied voices, and shoves, or even blows, from unseen assailants abound. The island was used between the late 18th and early 19th century as a quarantine spot for ships seeking to enter Venice. And while this seemed to be more orderly and less traumatic as a part of standard commercial and disease prevention procedure during those decades, it still resulted in many people, some of whom may have been ill and may have died, spending time on the island while waiting to enter the city. The location was later used for agriculture as its soils were reputed to be very good for growing plants. Oh, and uh, the pits in which the remains were placed, they are said to be below the area that was used for growing wine grapes. How's that for a strange vintage? Naturally, the dead didn't stay down. Those who have been confined to or visited the island report seeing specters ranging from Roman soldiers to 19th century sailors. Shadows are often said to be glimpsed just out of the corner of the eye, and there is an amorphous mist that seems to wander the island as if guided by some intelligence. More on that in a bit. More recent visitors report catching voices on recordings, voices that were not audible at the time the recordings were made known as EVP, or Electronic Voice Phenomenon. The sources I could find were vague on what those voices were saying, or perhaps screaming. But of course, such recordings are commonly made in places with a reputation for being haunted, so it's only natural that they would be made at Poveglia. In 1922, a psychiatric hospital was built on the island. Legend says that patients were overseen by a very literal mad scientist a psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Nikilovich, who performed cruel experiments upon his charges, as well as crude surgeries performed using drills, picks, hammers, and chisels. Dr. Nikilovich is reputed to have performed other additional acts of cruelty with no pretense towards research. It is said that this psychiatrist eventually completely snapped. After telling other hospital employees that he had encountered ghosts, he climbed the bell tower, in which some stories hold he had performed his grisly work, and flung himself towards the ground. He survived the fall, but the white mist, possibly composed of human ashes, rose from the ground, enveloped, and then strangled him. In addition to the torments inflicted on them by Dr. Nikilovich, the patients are also said to have seen ghosts of Roman and Renaissance plague bearers, and to have heard disturbing whispers emanating from the walls of the building. In fact, in some tellings, it was the patients witnessing these spirits that caused the psychiatrist to engage in his experiments. Initially assuming that the patients' visions of spirits were some sort of shared delusion, he sought to put a stop to them through the use of primitive brain surgery. One final story holds that the last group who attempted to settle on the island was a family that had been granted permission to build a vacation home. After the home was completed, they cut their first night short when their daughter was attacked by something, and her face was split open, 
the injury required 20 stitches. And, of course, stories hold that the evil psychiatrist was buried in the bell tower and that people in Venice can hear the bell toll at night. And some say that a light can be seen intermittently through the bell tower windows. Sleep well, Venetians. Nina was a low-class prostitute who worked in the always-wet basement of a high-priced merchant hotel on Davis Street in Portland. The circumstances of her death are not clear. Some say that she was killed by a jealous lover. Some say that she was killed by a pimp when he discovered that she wished to leave prostitution. Some say that she was killed by gangsters, punishing her for striking a deal with missionaries to help her escape in exchange for information useful in shutting the brothel down. And still others claim that she simply heard something she should not have heard and was killed by a criminal gang as a result. Whatever the motive, she was found dead at the bottom of the hotel's elevator shaft, her death caused by the fall. Her murderer was never caught or convicted, which is not surprising considering that Portland was about as lawless a town as one could find in the West during the late 19th century. Since the time of her death, Nina has been seen wandering the premises, especially in the basement, always wearing a black dress. The building is no longer a hotel, but home to the Old Town Brewery. Patrons and staff alike have reported strange occurrences, especially in the basement. They have smelled her sweet perfume, heard voices, and had objects move on their own. The staff of the Portland Walking Tours, who run a ghost tour in downtown Portland, have placed a bowl full of Scrabble pieces in Nina's basement room and it is said that she will sometimes arrange the letters to spell out messages. To say that Nina is in the basement is a bit of a misnomer. Yes, she is said to appear in the basement of the building, but the basement itself was part of a large subterranean network of tunnels, known as the Shanghai Tunnels, which is, to this day, still present underneath a large portion of Portland's historic old town. The Shanghai tunnels are said to have been built by the Tongs, or Chinese gangs, as a way to secretly move contraband including men and women who had been kidnapped and were to be forced into slavery, as well as places for gambling rooms, brothels, and opium dens. The tunnels were dark, out of sight, and ideal for doing crime. And in Portland, the Tongs were busy and crime had many victims. As you might imagine, Nina is not alone in the tunnels. She is, in fact, only one of many ghosts said to haunt Portland's subterranean lair. People have been reporting strange happenings in the tunnels for decades. While much of this is standard fare, suddenly feeling cold, feeling as if you are being watched, seeing something just out of the corner of your eyes, feeling a tug on your shirt or something unseen tripping you, and, of course, the ubiquitous shadowy figure seen just at the edge of the light, some of it is more specific. For example, many people have reported seeing an Asian man walking through the tunnels. This is no surprise as Asian shopkeepers and merchants made frequent use of the tunnels, and opium dens are reputed to have been present within them. According to the tour guides at Portland Ghosts, this particular spirit is known as Sam and is reputed to turn off the lights in the building basements and to cause objects to move. Presumably, he is not visible when this happens as, otherwise, it's just a person moving things. The folks at Portland Ghosts even report hearing disembodied voices calling out for Sam. Old Town Brewery is not the only place with a haunted basement or ghost story. 
The White Eagle Tavern is reputedly quite haunted and may be discussed in depth in the future, but for this episode, the most interesting place is its basement, as it is reputed to have been connected to the Shanghai Tunnels. As the stories go, white prostitutes were active in a brothel on the second floor of the building, but black prostitutes worked in the basement. It is said that, while some of the prostitutes came into that life as a way to earn money when other avenues had been shut down, many were trafficked and forced into brothels. The same basement also contained an opium den, and, of course, any patron who lost consciousness there, whether due to drink, opium, or being drugged by a worker, risked being sold to an unscrupulous ship's captain and waking up already out to sea, forced into the life of a sailor. While much of the smuggling was of common items in order to avoid customs duties, things such as drugs, exotic animals, weapons, people, and even alcohol during the Prohibition era were also moved through the tunnels and snuck past authorities. And so, in a place that held so much crime and misery, the ghosts have been active. The ones said to haunt the basement are very much what you might expect for a place with such a history. The stairs are said to be haunted by the spirit of a large, muscular Chinese man who worked as a guard or enforcer for the criminal enterprise that ran the establishment. He sometimes appears before visitors, but is more often an unseen force that pushes people, especially women, as they head down the stairs. In one case, he is even said to have picked up a waitress by the shirt and carried her downstairs. People also report seeing both Asian men and black women wearing 19th century clothing in the basement. Dark figures are witnessed, and voices can be heard speaking. There are, of course, many more stories of the White Eagle, but most appear unrelated to the tunnels, so I'm limiting my discussion of them in this episode. I will note that most of the White Eagle stories take place on the ground floor bar or on the second floor. Still, there is a recurring element in several of these stories of objects being flung across the room towards the basement door and often sliding down the stairs into the basement. It is as if the tunnels are trying to suck things from above the ground down into them. However one looks at it, under the modern and thriving city of Portland, there is darkness underground, and that darkness is accessible. The ghosts who haunt the tunnels show that even the progressive and exciting city of Portland has literal roots in 19th century crime and exploitation. In this way, Portland is very much a city of the American West. In a rocky area on the outskirts of Tokyo, there is a large house, a mansion of traditional design that hosts many malevolent spirits due to its dark history. Legend holds that the Humuro family, who owned and lived in the house, had a gruesome responsibility. Every fifty years, they had to perform an ancient and occult Shinto ritual that involved raising a woman in secret to prevent her from forming attachments to others, and then, Late in the year, she was to be brought to an elemental seal from which evil forces might enter the world, and where each limb and her neck were tied to oxen, who then pulled the woman apart. The last woman to be killed, sometime in the last eighty years, somehow came into contact with a young man with whom she fell in love. Her feelings for the young man essentially negated the sacrifice, and so the members of the Himuro family who were responsible for the ritual became distraught. Taking a traditional sword, 
the patriarch murdered his entire family, feeling their death by the sword was preferable to the evil that he believed was coming. Since then, people have reported a wide variety of weird happenings at or near the house. Apparitions of family members have been seen both at night and in broad daylight. Bloody handprints and sprays of blood, as if from a cut made by a sword, mysteriously appear on the walls. There are those who claim that the visitors to the house will see specters, and that the visitors may be stalked by these malevolent spirits, and often attacked. People who enter the house are occasionally found dead, with rope marks on their arms and legs, indicating that they had been bound and pulled. And there are those who say that, if you walk onto the grounds of the house, you will be cursed and something dark will follow you the rest of your days. In addition, there are three smaller houses on the same property that had some connection to the ritual. They were connected both to one another and to the mansion itself through underground tunnels, but it is not known who built the tunnels. If you search on the internet, you can find a few photos that may be the house, but nobody knows for certain. There is no official record or newspaper accounts detailing the murder of the family by the patriarch. There is absolutely nothing to indicate that the house officially exists, and even those who claim to have visited it often report that they're not sure that this was the Hermuro mansion as opposed to another house. But, the believers say, such information might be kept hidden, and, who knows, perhaps records were lost during the war. What is the truth of Hamuro Mansion? Well, in order to learn that, you'd have to be persistent and clever enough to find the house, and foolish enough to go visit. But if you manage that, you are likely to wish that you had not. If you have a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's g-h-o-s-t-h-r-o-p-o-l-o-g-y at gmail. You can find more at kmmamedia.com. Click on the Ghostthropology link and you can find episodes, transcripts, sources, and a link to support us through Patreon. Spooky!